Our governor calls Utah the startup capital of the world, and it tracks. We've got a fast-growing, well-educated population and a buzzing economy. And just last week, Utah unveiled the Startup State Initiative, a resource portal for entrepreneurs. From step-by-step -step guides to a business plan generator, startup.utah.gov is now the first stop for starting or growing a business here. That's startup.utah.gov. Today on CityCast Salt Lake, starting at 12.01 this morning, you can now stream the first two episodes of Under the Banner of Heaven on Hulu. The seven-episode drama is a brand new adaptation of John Krakauer's book by the same name, which tells the story of one of Utah's most infamous and horrific crimes. The story coming to life again on a national scale has created a lot of hype in our state, for better or for worse. So I called up Dr. Christina Rossetti to ask her what we should all keep in mind as we tune into the show. Christina is a professor and public scholar researching the history and lived experiences of Mormon fundamentalists in the Mountain West. It's Thursday, April 28th, 2022. I'm Ali Vallarta and this is CityCast Salt Lake. Christina, welcome to CityCast Salt Lake. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Before we really get into it to start, would you mind giving just a brief history of Under the Banner of Heaven, both the book and sort of now the show? Like, how did we get to, to this day? Yeah, Under the Banner of Heaven was, is a book that was published in 2003 by John Krakauer. Most people know him from, I mean, Under the Banner of Heaven, but also Into Thin Air, Into the Wild. Um, and he sought to tell this story that really made headlines in 1984. There was a murder, a double murder um, of a woman and her 15-month-old daughter. And the murderers were LDS in their childhood, and they converted to a very small fundamentalist Mormon group in adulthood and believed that God had told them to commit these very heinous murders. And so John Krakauer tells this story, and in telling the story, he sought to connect it to Mormon, the Mormon past. He also sought to connect it to the broader fundamentalist movement generally. Um, and it was met, it was met with great controversy. And John Krakauer, like such a sort of a strange candidate for telling a story like this, because before that he had been, you know, an adventure writer. Like this was a very different realm to be reading from John Krakauer, right? Yeah, it, it was not at all like his previous work. Um, at the same time, he is a journalist and it was written journalistically, which is one of its main critiques is that this was not written by a historian. And so there are pretty significant glosses over the history. Um, but it was a journalist. And in a lot of ways, he did position it as an adventure story of, you know, dark country, wild west, back in time people. Um, and so he was an unusual candidate in that this was his first kind of foray into Mormonism and Mormon studies and anything about Mormonism. Um, but he also did write it in a way that made it kind of feel like his other work. I have been reading a lot of, you know, we'll call it banner tweets this week, of course, been trying to dive kind of deep into understanding what we're supposed to make of now this series, because 
when this book came out many years ago and I remember reading it, I was a different person. I didn't have any sort of personal connection to Utah or, um, you know, even friends who were LDS. And I think the lens with which I viewed it then is really different from the lens with which I would view this show now. And one of the, one of the sort of conclusions that I think I'm seeing from a lot of scholars who are discussing this book, including you is like, when this book came out under the banner of heaven, it did a lot of harm to the Mormon fundamentalist community. And I think for myself in particular, I've really never thought that through. And I wonder if you could help me, help me understand that conclusion. The main critique of, from the fundamentalist community is, I mean, first of all, that you know, not all fundamentalist Mormons kill people. Not all fundamentalist right. Mormons are violent um, in any way. Uh, but the kind of more subtle critique that a lot of people miss is that for most people, Under the Banner of Heaven was and is their only point of reference for Mormon fundamentalist history and current Mormon fundamentalism. So they read this and this becomes the only lens by which they're looking at this entire group of people. And that created a lot of stigma. It created a lot of negative ideas. It created a lot of untrue ideas. And what that ended up doing is it ended up ostracizing people. It ended up only adding to the reason why young kids in school are called plig, which is a derogatory term for Mormon children, for polygamous children. Um, And it created a sense for many fundamentalist people that they weren't welcome or wanted. And, you know, on one hand, that might lead to subtle things like homeschooling your children or, you know, feeling uncomfortable at work. But for people like Warren Jeff, for people like, you know, a lot of the leaders that aren't good people, this became a weapon and it became kind of something you can point to to further isolate a people. Um, And that usually never ends well. So in essence, it became because I'm... I'm trying to place us here. The book was published in 2003, correct? Mm -hmm. I remember watching the raid at Yearning for Zion Ranch in 2008. Mm -hmm. And so you're, you're right. Like the publishing of this book did not fully disrupt or end fundamentalism, right? If anything, it created more of a media circuit circus, which you know, I remember with the yearning for Zion Ranch raid, like Oprah was there, like we were watching children be separated from their parents. Like there's a, a lot of trauma that we were sort of viewing through this lens of like, this is a good thing. This is for the best, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. I mean, and I want to be clear, you know, groups like, like Warren Jeffs was violent. I don't want to at all ever right. pretend that that's not true. Um, but what I will say is, you know, in 1953, the FLDS, there was a raid in that in FLDS community in Short Creek. Um, and it was traumatizing to people. It left a lasting impression that outsiders don't want us and we have to retrench. And that is what happened with the FLDS. And that's the culture Warren Jeffs was raised in. But then there's, there's recordings of Warren Jeffs when he was the principal of the Alta Academy teaching children about 1953, having children close their eyes and imagining losing their parents. And then they moved to Texas. They moved to El Dorado, Texas and built the temple. And there's audio of him talking about Waco and saying, we're next. So this, is, this became part of this traumatic cultural memory of these people. Um, and then so to have it again reinforced in a very widely distributed 
narrative by an outsider, you know, not tell, not letting them tell their own story, um, it only added to something that many people already believed. You know, the outside world, you're taught from the time you're little, the outside world is scary. And then all of a sudden someone is telling you, we don't want you. So Under the Banner of Heaven really kind of contributed to something that absolutely was already happening, but most people weren't seeing. So fast forwarding from then to now, where we're about to sort of in some ways relive this media circus under the banner of heaven. The show is already generating a lot of buzz. They've got a star actor. Um, it premieres tonight. What are the things that you are looking for or cautious of? Uh, well, I don't want to give spoilers for it. Um, <laughs> I, <laughs> I will say, um, one of the things that I was happy about is knowing that Dustin Lance Black is from the Mormon community. Um, and so this is a story that is his in a lot of ways. Um, and also the historical consultants that they had, Lindsay Hanson Park and Troy Williams, are themselves from a Mormon background. Um, and so that made me optimistic. But I, I, again, I don't want to give spoilers, but I am happy to know that a lot of kind of the more um, harmful elements of Krakauer's story in terms of fundamentalism will be different um, in the show. But I, you know, I sympathize with people who are going to watch this and say, this isn't my story. Um, but I guess what I would hope, and that's, that's true and that's valid. And, but what I would hope is also that people can look at this and also say, you know, this is someone's story though. You know, the Lafferty brothers were Mormon. They were, this is a true story. And so I hope that we can kind of also hold space for that, but also watching out for um, thinking through how we do tell stories and how we do tell other people's stories and what nuances we're able to give to something that's really complicated. I think a lot of people are preparing to watch this show thinking that fundamentalist Mormonism is a far cry from modern Mormonism and that um, what we're going to witness in this show is so, so, so distant from the reality we live in today. And I'm wondering from the perspective of a scholar, if you think that's the right lens. We kind of look at Mormon fundamentalism as this kind of like grasp to 19th century, this hearkening back to the past. But the reality is that Mormon fundamentalism really begins in the 1920s. This is a modern religion. Um, And for many people, it's their families. Um, you know, many people who can look at their grandparents or their great grandparents and see people who were interested in the Mormon fundamentalist movement, who were continuing to practice polygamy after the Second Manifesto. Um, and again, not everyone is going to look at this and see themselves in it. Um, but the reality is that groups like the School of the Prophets, which the Lafferty brother jo- brothers joined, are not uncommon. <laughs> these are these are groups that we see emerge every single day. Um, and so, you know, no, it's, it's not necessarily representative of the average Latter-day Saint experience, um, but there is more kind of gray area that we need to sit with. What would you advise that casual viewers of this show keep in mind over the next few weeks as we engage with this, this process of watching the show, which is sure to be, regardless of anything else, a bit of a spectacle. I mean, it was, you know, that is what TV dramas are in so many ways, right? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. The first thing I would say is if you're watching the show and you're LDS, um, know that your experience is valid. And if you're not, you know, if you're not seeing yourself in the Lafferty family, um, that's great. And I would say if you don't see yourself in Under the Banner of Heaven, 
um, thank God and move on, right? Um, but if you're not from an LDS background, I would highly encourage you to reach out to an LDS person you know and have a conversation and learn from people who are LDS. A lot of um, Latter-day Saint scholars and historians are talking about this show right now. Um, and I would, you know, reach out and see kind of what they're saying. Um, I would also echo what um, Megan Goodwin, who's a scholar of religion and abuse, has said. Um, is that abuse happens everywhere. The tragedy of, you know, kind of the world we live in is that abuse is ubiquitous. Um, Mormonism is not alone. Um, abuse happens in your neighborhood as much as it happens in Mormon fundamentalism. Um, and so to kind of really kind of sit with that really hard reality that we are absolutely going to watch a spectacle of this exemplary case of domestic violence turned murder. Um, but that's also something that women experience every single day that aren't part of Mormon fundamentalism. Um, and so I would hope people can kind of see past this really extravagant story and think through, like, this is actually something that happens every day. Do you think that we should anticipate the next while of responses from the church itself, distancing itself significantly from this show and from this history? I have to imagine we're not going to get like a well-rounded sort of like transparent conversation about the relationship between this history and the church itself. The problem is, I mean, the church released a statement in 2003 about Banner and they released a statement when Big Love came out because of the temple theme. I think if the church is going to say anything, it's going to be about the depiction of the pre-1991 temple endowment that is shown. Um, but I actually think the church is going to ignore it. That's my take. And I, I absolutely could be wrong. I don't know. But um, I mean, if I was the church, I'd ignore it. <laughs> so, but, yeah, you know, just say nothing. And-, and I mean, at the same time, like there is a very legitimate reality that not everyone has Google. It's only available in the U.S. I don't think it's going to be as big as other shows. Yeah. I'm kind of also, I think there's a lot of hype around it. Um, I mean, at least it's my hope because I've been so anxious about Banner for the last, like, because I, I watched it a month and a half ago. And like, I've been anxious ever since. And so I think there's a lot of hype, but I don't think it's going to be the same kind of, I don't think it's going to be the same as other like big hitting shows. It's, seven, it's only seven episodes. Why have you been anxious about it? I've worked with nonprofits that deal with people who are trying to leave fundamentalism. Um, I know a lot of polygamous people, like most, uh, many, some of my best friends are Mormon fundamentalists. Um, and so between that, being worried, like, how is this going to impact aid for people trying to leave? Is it going to be the same as we saw with the book? Is it like, what is going to happen to people that I love and care about deeply? Like, how are they going to be perceived? Will people lose their jobs? Like, this is, you know, this is a, these are real people. And so just that whole thing, I've just been anxious about that. But I did appreciate that the show, it doesn't talk about Warren Jeff, like the book, it doesn't talk about, you know, a lot of that. So I, I'm, I was really happy with how they did that, but, you know, I've just been anxious about seeing how it's going to have tangible impacts on people's lives and people that are already like pushed in the shadows. Is there anything else I should ask you about this premiere tonight without forcing you into giving us spoilers? I would really, I mean, if I can do a plug for a book that, you know, is not mine, so I have no <laughs> kind of yeah, um, go for reason it. to tell people other than, other than I think you should. Um, if you are interested in the history of Mormon fundamentalism, um, Under the Banner of Heaven is not the end-all be-all. It's not, it's a, it's a great starting point. I, I would hope it's not the end point. 
And I would really encourage everyone to check out Craig Foster and Marianne Watson's American Polygamy. It is what I think to be the most kind of thorough, well done, and easily accessible history of Mormon fundamentalism and the contemporary practice of polygamy. Christina, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it as well. A little news before we go. Did you know that airline cabin crews don't start getting paid until the cabin doors seal for takeoff? Flight attendants are technically not on the clock during boarding, which is kind of crazy because I feel like that's when most of the shenanigans take place. Imagine all of the flight attendants these past few years begging someone to keep a mask on before takeoff and not getting paid for it. Delta, Salt Lake's hub airline, is the reason I learned this in the first place, because they've announced that they will now begin paying their cabin crews for time spent boarding the plane at a rate of 50% of their normal hourly rate. Many wonder if this new pay schedule is a tactic to hold off a unionization effort at Delta from the Association of Flight Attendants. That's all for us today here on CityCast Salt Lake. I can't emphasize enough how much a nice review on Apple Podcasts or five stars on Spotify means for our show. Thank you so much for doing it and for listening. We'll be back tomorrow with more news from around the city. Bye.